Hey guys, welcome to the We Are Men podcast. I am your host, Carl Mason. And in this podcast, we sit down and talk with local heroes from Southwest Sydney about life, mental health, and strategies for coping with the day-to-day issues that we all face as men. Our aim with this podcast is to create a space where men can open up and discuss their mental health without the fear of shame or exclusion. I know it can be hard to ask for help as a man, but no man needs to struggle alone. We hope to encourage all men to talk about what they're going through and seek help when they need it. A quick note, this podcast may feature some adult language and suicide may be discussed, which could be triggering for some listeners. Today on the podcast, we are chatting with Merv. Merv is a Wiradjuri man and an Aboriginal men's health district coordinator. He has been working with the Gubura men's group for five years. In his role, Merv helps Indigenous men holistically from a health and culture perspective while supporting them on their own healing journey. Let's jump in and meet Merv. All right, Merv, uh, first thing I want to say is massive thank you for being involved in this. I appreciate you giving your time. This is something that uh, I am very passionate about, having my own experience with mental health. Okay. Uh, so getting to hear other men's personal experience and their journey is something I think is really important for a lot of men. So. I appreciate you giving your time to be involved today. Uh, you're you're today. welcome, and it's, it's a good cause. Uh, so just to warm up, uh, can you start by letting us know your name, your age, and the, your current role in the work you do? Okay, so uh, my name is Merv Taylor. I'm 48 uh, years old, or years young, depending on how you look at it. Um, I am what's called the Aboriginal Men's Health District Coordinator. Now, Merv, I want to come back to talk more about what you do and what mm-hmm. you're doing in the community and, and your role and the men you're helping. Um, but before that, I really want uh, people to understand a little bit more about you, about what you've been through and about yep. your journey. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I'm, I'm a proud Wiradjuri man from, from Wellington, New South Wales, and grew up on an, an Aboriginal mission called Nanama, Nanama Mission, and grew up and, and had this wonderful childhood surrounded by you know other Koori kids, Koori families. and. Uh, just a, a beautiful, beautiful time. Uh, lived in Orange for a bit, moved to Wellington, um, went to, to school there uh, and really had this wonderful gift that uh, my mother and father kind of poured into me where they just loved me unconditionally. And that was something that would be a well that I would draw from many, many years later. So from, from the time that I was uh, born up until the, pretty much the time I was 21, um, I just had what I would call probably the, the perfect life in an Aboriginal aspect. You know, unfortunately, looking back, there was, you know, there's lots of alcohol, domestic violence, and part of it was the norm. Uh, but because once again, I was kind of protected by my parents, um, I, I came away, uh, came away. But I had a wonderful upbringing. Um, and that kind of culminated in I ended up going to Bathurst. I was going to be a PE teacher, and. Uh, we, we end up, uh, well, I end up trialling for this kind of New South Wales tertiary side and then the, um, I end up scoring this really good try, which was great, and um, made my way into the Australian side, um, which was really good. Uh, played in a World, uh, World Cup, you know, Tonga, Western Samoa, uh, New Zealand, all these uh, wonderful teams, and we won it. So on the 28th of August, 92, we actually won it. So I became a world champion at, at university level, which was great. And afterwards, they got uh, they they picked a world merit side on performance. Who are the best players? And I was number kind of I was number forty. They called me super sub, which is I was something I'm still proud of. This I'm forty eight, but it doesn't matter. It's timeless for me. 
Um, and so I end up um, yeah, being the best Aboriginal player in the world at university level and, and, and nobody could take that away from me. And so that was, uh, when we talk about the good, the bad and the godly, that was the good part. Um, uh, unfortunately, a couple of years later, so on New Year's Day 1994, I, I, I got a phone call from my auntie that said, look, you've got to come home. Um, look, you, you, your father killed your mother last night. And I kind of went, I oh, don't go mucking around like that, aunt, you know. And I knew that she wasn't because nobody kind of does that. Um, and I ended up going home and, and just, yeah, with trauma, there's just a lot of um, infighting and, you know, those times where you think families are supposed to pull together around funeral times, it just really fractured it. And I get that because of the enormity of, of the event that, that it took place. And, you know, I, I love my mum and I, and, I'm, and I miss it this day. Having said that, I'm representing her now, you know, with all that I am. So I, when I keep it like that, I know that might feel like a, a bit of softer, but what you probably just seen there was I just kind of powered up for the next three months. You know what I mean? To go, all right, because there is a purpose. And there's a, um, I'll, I'll see her again one day. My faith tells me that. Yeah, um, had, had, had the best you know, send-off that I could for, for my mum. Uh, but with that, I kind of, uh, I was hurt. Um, I hardly kind of shed any tears at mum's room because I was too busy organising and making sure. And, and there was a trauma that was um, that was inside me, and I, and I think they called it, I think they call it disassociation or something like that. So I just buried it, and I said, I'm going to put that in a box, and I buried it right down the bottom. And I said something along the lines of, Look, I'll, I'll deal with you later. Um, and I just had a strength once again that came back from mum and dad to be able to 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 hold. My position as best I could and then what happened was was the trauma was there and then I just kind of went okay and that's when I found drugs and and alcohol and said okay um, and I, I just there was part of me that that wanted to die because not my mum was my, my best supporter and, and and she was gone now so any purpose that I had for say rugby league or just in life like she, um, you didn't know this wonderful lady but she was a passionate you know you, you get that lady that kind of sings out at the footy that's really loud imagine that times three you know what I mean and, and every part of it loved loved myself you know so that and and look my dad loved me too you know, like, no, and, and there was a balance there so I end up um, having drug addiction uh, for around, I mean, about 18 years or, or, or thereabouts, but all that time I was kind of, I'd, I'd kind of think about, you know, was it, you know, what would mum think of me now when, you know, dad was in jail and kind of got out and things didn't go, uh, you know, according to plan from in his vision and my vision. Um, and so I just went, okay, look, I've got to do what I've got to do here. And um, I just made a really conscious decision through my faith um, in Christ, in, in Jesus, I became a kind of Christian along the way, but it's very double-minded. But yeah, my, my faith just basically said, look, this cross is too big to bear. Um, and then I had my mum kind of whispering, going, just fix it. Like, there's enough in you to fix it. And there was a, there was a love there, and, and I, I could still hear it. I still hear it to this day, you know. And that's probably one of the secrets is I still listen to it, because she'll give me that right, right answer. I've seen, like, just, you know, in no way to the level of... of what, what you've, you've been through, but yeah. my family history, there is uh, uh, a level of um, domestic violence, mm. and also my wife has, has experienced that in uh, her upbringing. Okay. And I've seen what the, uh, 
effect of that you know can do mm. in internal family violence and yeah and it, it's something that is obviously every very hard to overcome and and sits yes. with you yeah. um what was the the hardest part for you in that those years after um you know mm. when you said you found drugs and yep. and you, you know where was your head at at that time I, I loved smoking pot it was fun it was a mood altering substance and i wanted to alter my mood the one thing that i really liked about it too was the fact that it it, the th it sped up my thought processes and i could jump from thought to thought to thought um, but what I didn't realise was over a period of time, because when you go through a trauma like that, you're just gathering evidence, gathering evidence, gathering, or to try and piece together what happened on that fateful night, it, you become obsessed with it. Um, and so what I did was, and I think underlying all that, which was just really kind of, I'm not going to call it funny, but you'll understand, when I was about probably 10 or 11, I remember going, you know what, I don't want to have a straightforward, boring life. I want to overcome something. So when I look back and go, hey man, he had, he had sand, man, or he had something that was just manly. You know what I mean? So, um, and that was, it was funny. I was, I must have been between nine and 11 or something like that. Um, years of age, I remember having that, a thought that just floated into me kind of thing. So fast forward to I'm 21. Um, and now I had every reason in the world to really, really do something kind of wrong and, 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 and be filled with hate and, and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, and just really go off the rails. That combined with the fact that I'd, I'd, I'd been a, you know, I'd, I'd about 22 fights in the ring as an amateur boxer and in the Aboriginal community, you know, that kind of carries weight. And then I, I mean, I'd fight in the drop of a hat. So I had real reason to really go, all right, and just tell the world, I'm just going to hate on you big time, you know. Um, but instead of doing that, I think, to other people, what I'd done was I knew that wasn't right. I knew that I was still kind of representing my mum and dad. Um, I didn't want to do it because it's just there's a natural kind of sense of righteousness of who I was. Um, and I wasn't being true to myself, even though I had that kind of skill set. I didn't want to kind of abuse it. Um, so I just smoked a heap of pot, a heap of pot, and, and had these wonderful conversations into staying awake for hours, and then, you know, it's a depressive. And so I, I finally, I, I got tired of being, having a weight of this wet blanket in the shape, and then I got, you know, I, I, was, I, mean, I was addicted, and um, it, 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 it throws away um, all of your drive, purpose, and all of it, it just eats away at all of your really good qualities, and you become, the first thing that, you, that goes is your accountability. And so I was, um, I was hurt, lost, depressed, heavily sedated. So I'm thinking, geez, I need something to pick me up. And that's when I became um, hooked on speed. I went, okay, cool. Where all of a sudden, in a matter of moments, your eyes had light up and I'd use it intravenously. Um, why? Because I didn't, I don't want to swear, but I didn't give up. You know what I mean? It's like, you go through what I've been through. Yeah, and tell me, tell me you're not going to do that. You know, um, it was a form of self-hate. It was a form of self, um, you know, mum, love you, but you should be here with me. Dad, what's more to be said? All right, and so my self-care for myself just went out the window. Um, part of me wanted to live, part of me didn't. And I was a living, walking, breathing, double-minded man. And the one thing that kind of saved me, and I unashamedly say, I'm a, I'm a proud Aboriginal man. I'm a Radjuri man from Wellington Mission. Um, and I represent that 
that place every step, every breath that I've got. And um, there is, I, I don't know the Aboriginal Miami. I don't know the spiritual world. I can't tap into it because it was, it was desecrated through colonisation. I'm not going to carry hate though. There is a God that I believe in. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm unashamed, unashamed. And, and in that, I kind of turned that, that, that love and hate, you know, of my dad, who, who I did heal, uh, did heal in the end. Um, there was a, um, a parallel where the, 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 the good and the bad, where honestly I'd be at church and I'd be worshipping God as best I could. And then within two hours, I'd have a needle in my arm or um, a bong in my mouth going, tell me your thoughts on, you know, do you believe? So it doesn't kind of get any more. And it says, you know, in the Bible, it says, you know, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And I was. Um, so with the, with the speed, um, it just, it, I was, I'd be awake for, you know, three or four days at a time from probably Friday to a Sunday or Thursday to a Sunday. Um, I'd sleep Sunday. I always interviewed well, and so I'd get these jobs, and I'd, so I always had an income, and always ate because I didn't want to look like a junkie. Um, plus, I love food. Um, and then uh, I got to a point where it all came to a head, where um, I hurt some guys pretty bad. Um, I you know, broke a guy's jaw and, and and some other kind of really kind of big punches that done a lot of damage. Um, and part of me is regretful of that. Um, I can't change it. Um, but that was the critical moment where basically um, I, was in a, I was in a situation where I just said, I said, all right, because I was, I, I was looking to, to get out of it. I was looking to jump ship. I was looking to, um, as in, I was, I was looking to cheat, if you want to call it, because I was making these compromising, oh, but that bloke attacked my mailbox, and that bloke done that, and that bloke done that. And I guess I felt this real presence of God that said to me, he said, it's all right when you're dishing it out, Merv. It's all right when you're hurting my people, when you're breaking their jaws and you're knocking their teeth out. Yeah, look at you now. I'm ashamed of you. You're a coward. You're like a scared rabbit. And it struck me and I went, you know what? You're absolutely right, Lord. And I said, it's like this. I said, if I go to jail, I'll take you with me. I stay out of jail. I'm taking you with me. But I, I guarantee you this. I will be sold out to you the way that I'm sold out to my drug habit. And basically God said, okay, now I can use you because you're not lukewarm anymore. Now you're on fire. Yeah. And that's where, for me, something, something changed. And from there, I kind of went, okay, and tapped back into that overcoming stuff where you're kind of looking at, and I went, okay, what do I need to do? Who are the people that I need to listen to? And I'd done the jobs that I wasn't supposed to do in order to do the things that I did want to do. In other words, I went to job interviews. I didn't necessarily want to do it. Um, I, I quit smoking drugs. I didn't necessarily want to do it. Um, I quit hanging around these people um, that were my, you know, my drug dealers and all that. I didn't necessarily want to do that because they were my friends. But if I wanted to represent my mob, my lord, uh, my, my family and, and myself, this is what I had to do. And... What happened was, was there was a, a point around there where I kind of looked at it and it came back again to disassociation. I went, all right, what have I got here? Really, what have I got here? And my mum, my mum was a really quick-witted kind of um, 
she had wonderful trivia. She could do the most beautiful handwriting you'd ever seen. Um, and she had a mind. She was smart as a whip, you know. And I realised that I was 50% of her. So I'm smart. Yeah, it, it is what it is. All right. Now my dad, my dad was a fighter. And he had this natural leadership where wherever he went, didn't matter where he was, he was automatically the best worker on the side. Used to piss me off. And, uh, but he had just had a charisma. Um, and it probably could have been anything that he wanted to be. He chose to become an alcoholic. It's his choice, you know. But my mum was smart. My dad was a warrior. So I knew that 50% of me is smart and 50% of me is a warrior. And I merged both those worlds. And okay, I'll just become a smart warrior. Thank you for sharing the journey up until now that uh, is so powerful. And mm. I think a lot of men hearing that, uh, hearing so far your journey, uh, will be very inspired. So. Mm. Thank okay. you. How, how did you find a way to forgive yourself mm. when you turned that corner? There was part of me that didn't, didn't forgive myself because I, that's a great question, no one's ever asked me that. I didn't feel like I needed to be forgiven for anything. I'd realised that something had been done to me. I, I get that. Whether it's a justification yeah, that's why I used the drugs, that's why I used the alcohol, that's why I was, you know, violent on occasions, you know, because it was me lashing out to what had happened to me. And part of me went, okay, and this is, you're kind of helping kind of heal me here right now with that question, because it'll just help consolidate my character and who I am. And what happened was, was I remember thinking, if I'm in Oasis, if I'm out in the middle of the desert, all right, and I come across an oasis and I go and I sit on the water's edge and I look at, at the water and I see my reflection. Do I like that guy? Without the Christianity, without the wife, without the job, without any and all distractions, without life, do you like Merv Taylor? And part of me went, yeah, he's all right, that dude. And... Many times I've asked other men that, and on, on you've just, like I said, just jogged my memory, and they've said to me, yeah, so I, I haven't got that move. I, I haven't got that. And that's um, a journey of, of courage that you have to go back inside yourself and open up the doors of pain, walk through it and close it from the other side, that you will need other people in your life, you'll need humility, you'll need to ask questions, but you also need, um, I think, um, to be, what do you call, conditioned to a degree. It's not easy. There has, to be a, there has to be a toughness. Just for the record, I believe all men, I don't care if you're an Eskimo, an Indian, an Aboriginal man, or a white father, all men, all men are warriors. All men. Now, all men should, I believe, in my opinion, fight hard to be a good husband, to be a good father, to be a good protector, to be a good provider, yeah? And, and to have a role um, where they will lay down their life for their children and for their families and for their community. Um, and that's because I, I think that because I was able to go, this is me like stripped back bare, 
Oh, I still like him. Good sense of humour. Um, this way, okay. Um, you know, unbelievably good looking. I can't have oh, any kidding. Um, but there was a. It was. I was able to rebuild myself just like they do in the cars, where they scrape it all back and they go, okay, this shell's beautiful. You know, look at it. You can see it. And so then I went back. I stripped myself back bare. Um, and then what happened was then was um, there was an intent to improve. I've got to do this on purpose. I've got to do the things that I don't want to do. Um, and then I surrounded myself with people that had my best interests at heart. Um, people from church, my wife, um, you know, close friends, you know, you know, some family, you know. And, and then I, uh, you know, I ended up really getting my, I'm 14, I think I'm 14 years clean or, or, or thereabouts um, this year. But in that, I, I, I just went, okay, I like the way that that gentleman treats his wife. I'm going to take it. I like the way that that gentleman handles his finances. I'm going to take it. I like that gentleman's work ethic, yeah? And I like that guy's sense of humour. And so I took all the best traits. And then I've, uh, you know, then I've got my, my king, my lord, that goes, all right, Merv, I've got this too for you. This power of love, of mercy and grace that I can pour into you so you can influence your community. Um, I don't necessarily go out and preach to people. I don't do that. I've got my own. I do go to church. I do... Um, oh, I do love the word of God. I love praise and worship and all that kind of stuff. But I also, one of the things that I also believe is the reason that I do that is at, from an Aboriginal perspective, the Aboriginal people, we, we didn't own the earth. The earth owned us. And when you look at that, your perspective really, and I mean really, really changes and you realise that you are a steward here. And it kind of crossed over to my Aboriginal culture where I was able to, to merge both worlds. But I've said all that to say this, spirit first. I'm hoping that through this that you and anybody that's out there that's looking at me now can go, you know what, I have got a spirit. And surrender it to go, okay, shape it, mould it. Let's go on an adventure. You know, and I believe that when we acknowledge our spirit first, then there's a, a flexibility, there's a creativity, there is a limitless. It becomes it becomes infinite. You know, whereas if we just go, oh no, no, we're here and we're just humans and there's nothing left, you know, oh, look, I don't know what's on the other side, but I'd rather live it this way here now, because there's a freedom in it and it's, it's, it's limitless. And so I can have as much love as I want. I can have as much mercy as great as I love, understanding, um, uh, vulnerability, power, mercy, grace, all these wonderful men. And that, for me, that's where that warrior comes in because I'm more patient. I'm more loving. I'm more understanding. Anybody can throw a punch and land it all right, and hurt somebody, but not, everybody can, not every man can heal it. And that's where I come in, I believe, in that there's two important days in your life. Number one, the day that you're born. And number two, when you realise why you're born. And for me, I'm all about health. Health, first of all, it is a seal, H-E-A-L. I'm a living testimony that you can overcome pretty much anything. And mine's not the most horrific story. There are terrible stories out there, whether it be children in India and all that. And I get that. I can't control that. But what I can control is my attitude 
and my effort towards the people that come into my life day to day. Oh, I think that's incredible that you have that ability to... I think sharing what you're sharing, so many men need to hear that. And you know, I hope that we can get this to, to be seen by as many people as possible. And the ability, what I find amazing is, I would love to do is that learning from everyone, seeing something in people and taking that on. Because I know there's a lot of ego in the world and other men you know, don't like to think that they can learn from you know, someone else. But yeah. I think that having no ego and just being open to learning from everyone you meet, I think mm. that's an incredible outlook to have. Thank you. And on that point you were saying where you, you know, your, your outlook on life now, something I did want to ask, which you know, I think some people who haven't been through a trauma like you have wouldn't understand how you have had the ability to do this, but how did you come to be able to forgive your father? Um, really, yeah, really good question. Um, I, I have a belief that now that I look at it, God was before it and God's after it, all right? If I look at it, for example, I unashamedly, if you'd have said to me, hey, Merv, here's either drugs or here's a woman, like infidelity, that woman never stood a chance. Drugs, 100%. The reason being is because my wife has been my childhood sweetheart since I was 14. 48. She went through all this with me. She seen me when she seen the men that I am now when I was in my drug addiction. That's faith. I also believe that God showed up and said, I know I'm going to throw you a curveball down the track, man, so I'm going to save you the, the, um, the time and I'm going to get you your wife nice and early. Because I know that, yeah, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, sh I'm going to do something here. You don't know it. And I do, and his ways uh, are higher than mine. So what happened was there was two things. After that phone call where I hung up the phone, there was two things. Number one, there, I remember two thoughts immediately. Number one, don't let this beat you, was the first sentence that I heard after I hung up the phone. The second one was keep your smile. I got no idea why, you know, but that was it. So. The other thing that over a period of time, what I found out was, um, and what I decided quite quickly, was this was a cross that was too big to bear. I wasn't supposed to carry it. And that, when I realised that, um, I was thankful. But even part of me, even in that kind of, when I said first, second, that third and fourth uh, kind of thought, there was something that... I know that I'm going to lay this down sooner or later. Um, and so we talked about that, what I call Pandora's box, where I kind of buried it and buried it and buried it. What happened was I was in Oatley and my wife was pregnant um, with, I think with our first child. I remember sitting in a chair just like this, but it was a, a little wooden chair, like the one that you have at preschool, little brown old ones kind of thing, you know. And I remember sitting there and I went, okay, I know you're there. I know there's pain there. I know there's anguish there. All right, we're going to see how much is in there. So I took a deep breath and I went, three, two, one. And I flicked it. I literally flicked something inside in my heart. And I can't do it because I don't want to stand up in the chair. But I, there was a sound 
where I went. It was like a rush. It was almost like a drug rush when I went. Three, two, one, two. And I went, ooh, ooh, ooh. And it pushed me off the chair. I, I shit you not. It pushed me off the chair about four steps away where I kind of went where I physically moved. It pushed me an energy off the chair. Um, I don't get kind of super spiritual like that. It is what it is. That's what happened to me. I made these three groan, ooh, ooh. And then I'm kind of looking around, kind of trying to figure out what, what, just, what just happened. Like, what, what just happened? And I, went, and I went and kind of to sit back down in the chair so I could put it back in. And I went, nah, that ain't going to happen. And it was my time to deal with it. So over periods of time, there were um, key moments that kind of built to, like, I've, I, I think, in answer to your question, I think I forgave my dad straight away. As soon as it happened, I forgave him straight away. Why? Because he's still my dad. I still love him. I'd had, you know, 21 years with him. Um, I kind of went, you know what, I'm, I believed it was an accident. To this day, I still believe that, you know, um, there were extenuating circumstances, all right? Um, so over a period of time, um, I'd kind of try to bond with him and try, he, he was in my custody. There's not many blokes that'll have their father in their custody where you get up in the morning, you open the door and your dad's there and you go, oh, what, uh, and you close the door and you go back to bed. You know what I mean? Because how did this all change? Um, and so over a period of time, I just went, there was, yeah, that's probably the answer to the question. There was, there was a build-up. There was a constant change. There was, a, there was an immediate forgiveness, all right? Um, and then I kind of built from that. And then there was a time where he kind of disowned me and said, look, you're not a son's asshole. You know, and mum said, all right, no, I want you to do this, this, and this. And I ended up going out and visiting him out at, um, out at condo and, and basically healed it and been good ever since. So you said that, you know, growing up that, you know, in the community, alcohol and violence were a problem. Did you have, did you have much experience with that growing up? Oh, look, I'd had, I'd had a little bit where, um, yeah, I'd, I'd seen, I remember my dad breaking my mum's rib um, in Orange. Um, I remember stories of, you know, mum looked funny without a black eye. We're talking kind of 1968, 1975, um, which was a different time uh, back then. Was it a constant theme? Um, yes, it was. Yes, it was. Do you think that the, you know, when you're at your worst time and, and the, the thing that really turned it for you was the, yep. you know, when you hurt those men. Yes. Uh, do you think the violence, you know, that you let, you ended up in at that place mm. was related to the violence you'd experienced in your 100%, youth? 100%, 100%. It, it's when you can self-reflect, when you can look at circumstances for what they really are, you, you can get, sometimes you have to move a lot of dirt to get gold, yeah? And, and with these men, I, I, I'm sorry that these guys were victims of my, of my violence, 100%. If they were to walk in to my house right now, I'd give them a cup of coffee, okay, how you going, guys? I'd probably apologise, there'd be a tear, say, look, I'm sorry that I hurt you, and, and please forgive me. But there would be a love and a grace and a thank you that would say, hey, listen, you actually helped me. And for me, knowing me and who I am, I'd say that you have a friend for life. If you ever need anything, and I'm talking three o'clock in the morning, and I'll get there. I'll, I'll, I will get there. So 
It's a matter of using these critical events, but also unpacking them and going, okay, this is what happened when I was one, two, three, four, five. And I got to a point where, like I said, I got to 21, I was fine. But 21, 22, 23, up to 20. And I looked and I, I stood, stood back and I'd been conditioned now because I'd, I'd gone into the child protection training and active listening, reflective questions. And this, I really, I mean, take this the right way. I'm an Aboriginal man. I'm not a pure Aboriginal man. Um, hearts as black as Radri all, all day. But there's a, another side, which is my non-Indigenous side which is learning to write resumes, job interviews, job interviews um, role plays, wealth creation, professionalism, um, nine to five. And so I embraced that. Um, and that's how I kind of end up with the position that I am. So I kind of just kept um, merging the Aboriginal world, um, the, the non-Indigenous world, um, and God's world all into here. And it became a filter so that I, once again, try to get, I got rid of all of all that dirt. And now, well, I like to think there's a lot of gold <laughs> kind of going around. I've made pretty much every mistake uh, there, that there is. So, yeah. Um, I just want to clarify, in the way you say that a man is a warrior, yep. are you meaning in... In a non-violent way, in they are a warrior, but doesn't mean to, having to be to, violent. Because I know a yeah, lot of yeah, men think right. I'm that, a warrior. Exactly I have to right. fight. Yeah. I have to. And and that's right. And and most people, um, when I when I think about fight, uh, uh, and, and warriors, I'm thinking about a smart warrior that will fight the right fight. In other words, I will manage my timetable. I'm going to be early to work. I'm going to take an unshave that I was always late to I was always early to from. I always kind of didn't listen to my wife, to I always did, to um, I always roused on my kids, and I was always punitive. Then I always was probably a lot more understanding and just kind of allowed them to be children. Those worlds are kind of spectrums. And, and being a warrior is recognising that this is where I'm at at the spectrum, all right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to fight to stay down here. I'm going to choose to... I told my wife... Um, uh, and this is recently. I don't want to. I don't want to get like recently around. Um, oh, look, it might have been six months ago. Um, now, as you can tell, I'm quite good with my words. All right, but domestic violence is verbal, also, and it's even worse. Women will tell you that's actually worse than the punch because the, because the bruise heals. All right. I said, all right, I will never, ever, ever, for the rest of my life, ever, ever tell you and call you the wrong name or swear at you. You are my queen. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a fight that I have to make sure that I win. That's a commitment of quality to my wife that I have to hold that standard to the best of my ability. That's when I say a warrior, I'm saying set high standards and fight to keep them. And, and, and if you can't keep them, get people around you that are gonna help you keep them. But you need to surround yourself with other men, other warriors. And sometimes you're going to be tired and you're going to get it wrong. And sometimes your brother's going to go, come on, get up and help you up. And sometimes you might be somebody that's helping somebody else up. But we are a team as men. We are warriors pushing our communities to be the best communities they can be, holding those role models to the nth degree. If you aim for perfection, you might just hit excellence. That is so inspiring. Can you tell me about the, the group of men that you work with in the community? Yeah, yeah. so I work with a, men, uh, a group of men, they're called Gubra Men's Group. 
Um, and I basically got this position, uh, this is the end of my fourth year, so I'll go into year, year five um, on the 4th of January next year. Um, there was so South West Sydney Local Health District um, basically hired myself. These men kind of got themselves together. They'd gone to Ganagara, which is the local Aboriginal Lands Council. They combined with New South Wales Health. They said, hey, let's get a guy, uh, let's get a, an employee that's going to help coordinate this men's group. So I went from probably a child protection sector for around kind of 10 years um, in, into this position. Um, the Goobera men, we meet every uh, Thursday. Um, there's two major legs to the, um, to the group. First and foremost is the, the health leg. So we have constant health checks. As you know, life expectancy Aboriginal men went from 22, I think down about 12 years now, 12 years um, shorter than our non-Indigenous counterparts. Um, but 12 years, that's a high school, that's a wedding, that's a childbirth, that's 12 years is 12 years. Um, and these men um, I meet with may have a heap of issues um, and I get to help them holistically. So I've dealt with, um, you know, from, from diabetes uh, to obesity, um, mental health, drug and alcohol. Um, so all, all those chronic care, kidney disease, all that kind of stuff where part of the South West Sydney Local Health District, doctors, nurses, specialists, depending on what the men disclose, all make the referral. The other league is the cultural league. So ditch playing, dancing, um, uh, artifacts, connection, yarning circles, sitting around telling the brothers going, you know what, I mucked up last night. Or, hey, I done really well last night. Or a thank you. Or a mental health follows ears down. And so that follows there and I'll partner that guy up. And again, and, and you, you monitor the friendships and you facilitate the strengths and you appoint leadership. Um, and, and you do that all with a, with a beautiful smile as best you can. Or I have this privilege of kind of walking in going, you know, um, sometimes I'll talk to you like a leader. Sometimes I'll talk to you like a friend. Sometimes I'll talk to you like a fucking black fella, you know. Uh, and, and sometimes I just won't say a word at all and I'll just sit beside you. And it's being able to identify where that man's up to, shutting up when you need to, um, asking the right questions when you need to, and saying stuff like this. You're the expert in your life, mate. Not me, I just got here. I have the privilege of walking beside you on your journey. And as I become part of your journey, you become part of mine. How good is that? How can I help you? How can I serve you? Because that serve, when I serve as best I can, that's when I'm at my most powerful. A lot of men in community go, oh, no, that, that's a weakness. That's this, this, this. And right, frankly, guys, I'm telling you right now, you are wrong. Get out, serve your communities, lay your life down. Love those people that are unloved. Reach out, rock on. That um, obviously what we're trying to do with this is get men to be more proactive in reaching out. Yep. How powerful do you think that, just reaching out, speaking, talking about what's going on, how powerful do you think that is for men? Oh, I think it's, it's paramount. Um, all men have voices. And for me, this is kind of so big. I'm not really interested in um, whether you are Chinese, Arabic, Aboriginal, Australia, it doesn't matter. You are a man, you have a voice. What I know is this, is from about 1972, which is the year I was born, up until present day, there has been a paradigm shift with regards to men talking. 
all men have voices. That's why we have a mouth. You know, but we've also got two ears, and you've, you, you know that old story. Um, I think for myself is, is it's about teaching the men how to do that. Because if you look closely, the tool that they've been given, they don't really know how to use it. But if we can create a safe space and teach them to say I statements, like, you know, I feel hurt when you do this, I feel angry, I feel this, and just that little way where it anchors them and they can get in touch with their own feelings um, and share that, that's where the healing begins. We need to teach our men to talk in the safe spaces that we've created that will lead to healing connection. How do you talk about violence in that in the group with your men? Like, obviously, things are going to come up in their life. Yeah. How do you talk with them about yeah. it now? I, I look at it this way. Um, well, I have to look at it this way. Some things are for the group. Some things are for the individual. Because that shame that is attached to um, domestic violence, um, it's not something that people really will sing out in a group setting. Yeah. The one-on-ones with me, um, I will go, hey, listen, how's things going there? Or tell me about what you said. Or there might be an incident that happened last night. And I go, well, tell me about that, what happened. So it's about picking and knowing your, your, your brother and knowing when to engage, when not to. And, yeah, that's that kind of almost like a professional training or that you might need to engage that. But what we do is, if there's a white ribbon event, if there is a domestic violence um, uh, meeting, we as an as a collective get there and support it 100%. Um, in that, you might get you know a whisper, or you might get whatever. But we just what I kind of do in my leadership, I suppose, of the men's group is we are representing non-negotiable because it's that important to this day. I'm one of the toughest guys. I can still, I still box. Um, I can still punch, like all that kind of stuff. But you know what? That for me, it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. What I want for our men, at least, is to understand that that it's it's okay to have a bit of mongrel. It's okay to to fire up, to have what I would call a righteous anger. You know what I mean? To hey, listen. This isn't right, you know. The, 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 our kids are being bullied at school. Um, our, our kids, you know, are killing themselves. Our men are killing themselves. Um, you know, I, I'm angry about that. I want them to think, you know, what Merv loves me. He's part of like it is. I can't believe it. I tell my men's group every week, and I'll say, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll do it here today. I'll go. What I'm what I, what do I tell you every week, you fellas. What do I tell you every week? And they go, that's your lovers. You bet your ass I do. Why? And the reason I say that is because I could be the only person throughout their entire week that tells them that I love them. And it's the only time they might even hear that they're loved. Now, if I happen to be another man that do that and be vulnerable, then so be it, because that's what warriors do. And the most powerful position that a man can ever, ever take is one of surrender and saying, I've got no idea what I'm doing here. I'm lost and I'm hurt and I don't really know what to do and I need help. Massive thank you, Merv. I appreciate you. Uh, it's an extremely inspiring story. 
I am inspired. I took so much from our discussion, oh, so thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in. A huge thank you to our guest. Make sure you head to wearemen.com.au for more information about the project and for a list of services that are available to men out there who want to learn how to be a man who talks. See you guys next week.